Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. Look, there's a lot going on in the world right now. You don't need me to tell you that, NPR listener. Maybe you're looking for a break, something silly, something weird, something that can transport you somewhere else entirely. Maybe to a place where iguanas carry the mail, one where ATMs sprout from the ground in the city park and hedges are trimmed with shaving cream and razors. Lemon curd, Connecticut is one such place. It is a pristine, filthy rich suburb where pretty much everyone drives SUVs and owns a huge, perfect house. Lemon Curd is the fictional setting for the Adult Swim show Three Busy Debras, and it is sublime and bizarre and frankly a little disturbing. The show follows the day-to-day lives of three housewives, all of whom are named Debra. They're all a bit deranged. They brunch a lot. They kind of hate each other. They hang out all the time. Look, There have been a lot of stories about the strange things going on behind white picket fences in suburban America, but Three Busy Debras might be the strangest. (laughs) It is also really silly and really funny. I got to talk with the cast and creators of the show a couple of years ago. They are Sandy Honig as Debra, Mitra Johari as Debra, and Alyssa Stonaha as Debra. The show is in its second season now. It's just as weird and funny as ever. I really love this show. I think you should watch it. To kick things off, let's hear a little bit from the very beginning of Three Busy Debras pilot episode. The three Debras have sat down together for brunch. Like I said, they brunch a lot. The first Debra you'll hear from is played by Sandy Honig. (laughs) (laughs) Debra, your hilarious story reminded me that I have a better one. It's so funny and it's so long. (laughs) So my husband went to the doctor and found out that we have a cholesterol problem. As a result, we started eating oatmeal. (laughs) Debra, that is so funny. You have to stop. I just remembered something that happened on the way here. I forgot because I was so busy walking inside. So what happened is that... Sandy, Mitra, Alyssa, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. How did the three of you start working together? We met doing comedy in New York in like 2015. And just people in the community, in the New York comedy community were like, you would love Alyssa, you would love Mitra, you would love Sandy. So we all got together and um, just started like doing improv together. It's how it started. And the first night we hung out, we improvised a scene about three women all named Deborah, and then uh, that was the last idea we've ever had. So. <laughs> First and the last. Yeah. <laughs> and then from there, we were writing sketches, and we were trying to write a play, and we just kept com- we just kept coming back to this idea of three very busy women who were all named Deborah, and how much fun it was to do that. So. It had several iterations as first a 10-minute play, then a 20-minute play, then it ran as an hour-long play for a few months at the Annoyance Theater in New York. And then that eventually, through a long series of steps, led to it becoming us working with Amy Poehler and her company, Paper Kite, and eventually it becoming an Adult Swim show. 
why do you think you were so drawn to the idea of I mean it's a it's a more specific category than busy women but busy women is uh a <laughs> as good a name as any for us to give to it for right now <laughs> for the sake of convenience <laughs> well the the first time that we were all trying to hang out it was very hard for us to get together because we all had completely different schedules and we had this running joke before we had ever hung out in person just saying like, oh my God, I'm so busy. Sorry, I can't make it. Oh, so busy and making up excuses as to why we were so busy. And I think that was why when we first started performing together, we ended up just doing the bit that we had already started. And it's like, a, I think it's a, you know, it's a silly way to access the very real thing, which is that Every, like people want to seem like they have a lot going on, that they're very busy, that they have these rich, fulfilling lives. And I, I think, you know, it's it's obviously we're, we're reaching that in a very silly way, but it's kind of rooted in a, a, a real thing. Ultimately, the Debras are only busy doing things that they've invented and created. <laughs> <laughs> How old were the three of you when you started improvising this idea of uh, uh, busy, busy Debras? Um, I was 23, I believe. And then I was 22. And I think I was 19. Yeah. Uh, To me, one of the most remarkable things about the story of the three of you getting together to create these characters is that they live in such a profoundly, like, young, middle-aged world. You know, like I'm, I'm in my, I'm in my late thirties now and, uh, happy birthday to me. Uh, <laughs> Is it really your birthday? It was my birthday a couple days ago. Yeah. Happy and, birthday. Happy birthday. birthday. Wow. wow Barry the lead. lead. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and we brought you here today to give you a surprise party. Holy what if cow. we burst in through the door of yeah, your we physical down space? The door. <laughs> Violating your quarantine uh, to wish you a happy birthday. Um, but like, I, I'm in a world of people and especially parents who live these lives of desperate busyness. You know, coming at it from from various perspectives, you know, not everybody puts the shine on it that Debra's, that the Debras do. Um, but like that is that is my world. That is not the world of like a junior in college. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think it is. I mean, I I think from you know for, at least for me, I was someone who really wanted to go to like an Ivy League school or something, and I was doing a million clubs in high school or whatever. And it it was this sort of beleaguered sense of how busy and exhausted I always was, and. It's a choice. I, I like it. I think the activities change, but that sense of like, oh God, sorry, I'm just so wiped. Uh, at least for me, I feel like has always kind of been there. And I think what felt like, like the bigger picture of the Debra's world, um, I think was such a reaction for us. A leaving, like leaving our hometowns and moving to New York. It was such a reaction to the people we grew up around and be like a lot of people from my hometown going on to just like be not just, but going on to be husbands and wives and, and, you know, preparing to like own a house. I grew up around like a lot of really rich people and they're on track to being home on homeowners in their mid to late twenties. And it was such a reaction to like 
the people I grew up with and and what their lives were becoming and the their parents and what their lives were that I that I left to go to New York. Did you feel pressure to be that kind of person yourself or did you pressure yourself to be that kind of person? I'm from an area outside of Cincinnati and everyone's kind of married straight out of college and I just sort of assumed that would be my life as well and really really ha- had no problem with that and was ready to do that and then just started doing comedy and it sort of changed everything very quickly but I I think you know had I not started doing college improv I would certainly be a married doctor by now. <laughs> I feel like I kind of had an opposite experience because I I have two parents that uh, kind of got forced into a career that I don't, I mean, not forced, but I, I asked my dad, you know, my dad's a doctor and I, his mom always really wanted him to be a doctor. Um, and I was like, you know, is that, what would you have been if you weren't a doctor? And he was like, I don't know. And I, I feel like my my mom always felt kind of the same and they encouraged me and my brother to, you know, follow more, you know, whatever made us happy and more creative passions. Yeah, and I felt I felt similarly that I got really into comedy like in like middle school and high school and I, I didn't you know, I, I thought I would maybe do other things, but I desperately knew that I that that's what I wanted to pursue because I just loved comedy so much. And I didn't know if it was possible or, you know, whatever, but I, I just knew like, I feel strongly about this and I, I hope beyond hope that I can pursue it. Wait, yeah, actually I knew from a young age too, that I loved comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, the moment I came out of the womb, um, I said, somebody stop me. And, uh, just sort of everything fell into place after that. Um, but I, but I don't know. I, I do definitely feel, I don't know if this is something that like our parents generation felt, but I definitely feel like there's a pressure of us when we were in middle school of, you know, oh, when you get to high school, you have to figure out, you have to have a perfect GPA and you have to take AP classes so that when you go to college, you can have, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, you can yeah. have your college courses done. And then when you're done with college, it's, it's like a very, you know, life is a long list of tasks. Right. And then you die. <laughs> it's beautiful. Get a ta- I hope somebody gets a tattoo of that. There, there's another kind of pressure, which is the pressure to like live your passion. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Did, did any, did any, then that can kind of, that is obviously often in direct conflict with the pressure to uh, achieve or get into the right college or whatever. Uh, did any of you feel that at, at your back? Um, I remember when I was applying to colleges, I uh, went to school for photography and I worked as a photographer and I, a friend of mine was asking me like, what do you want to major in in college? And I was like, well, I was, I was thinking photography. And he was like, why would you waste your brain on that? And I'll never forget that because he was like, you're, you're smart. You shouldn't st- do art. Like, why would you... <laughs> <laughs> arts for dummies yeah everyone knows that you know, like, anyone okay. can do art <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's why nose tackles make the best artists <laughs> <laughs> Which, I, I don't know i also had a situation in college where this is not really the same thing but more just like the the pressure of 
when I was like a junior in college, uh, I was studying photography and I had a friend of mine. I was like, you know, I'm thinking I kind of want to do comedy. And he said, it's too late. You're three years into a photography degree. You're a photographer. It's too late for you to do comedy. <laughs> and I like freaked out because I was like, oh, like I should have started earlier now. Like, you know, everyone that I knew in college was already like, oh, doing improv and on sketch teams. And I wasn't doing any of that. And it like completely got in my head. I was 20. No, I was maybe 19. I don't know. It was insane. Holy <laughs> moly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't really think that you could live your passion. So it's <laughs> sort of the opposite of like, I don't know. I, I would watch shows that filmed like shows like The Daily Show that filmed in New York and be like, wow, I wonder like who who works on those shows? It feels so impossible and inaccessible to me. And there was sort of never any sense of like, that could be you one day or you could, you could, you could one day work in, in television. It just felt like, like all those people must have known a million people in New York or grew up in New York. And like, it just that it was this sort of uh, like inaccessible club that people like me being like, you know, someone from Ohio or whatever, like could not access. Um, so it just wasn't even, uh, there, there was never any sense of you're going to do this one day. Whereas I am an East coast elite and, um, <laughs> was told from a young age, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> JK, 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 but even more with the three busy Debras still to come. We'll be back in a minute. It's bullseye from maximumfun.org and NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're listening back to my 2020 conversation with Sandy Honig, Mitra Johari, and Alyssa Stonaha. They're the creators and stars of the great show Three Busy Debras. It is truly bizarre and hilarious and in the midst of its second season on Adult Swim. It's a little hard <laughs> to describe the premise of the show uh, other than to say they are highly burnished suburban women who live in an idyllic and slightly insane suburb. They wear white most of the time, they are crazy, they are busy, and their names are all Deborah. Let's get back into our conversation. There's something really um, remarkable about the show, which is that these characters are each in their own way horrible monsters <laughs> I mean, the show really opens with the show opens with them sort of uh smiling and waving their way through manslaughter at best <laughs> but there is a certain sympathy for these characters as well like it seems like you are having a contest to see what is the most horrible thing that they can do <laughs> that you can give a little bit of reason for why they would do something like that, that, that actually kind of feels like it makes sense. Well, it's sort of this idea of like, they're the, the protagonists of the show are villains to the world, but they're villains because they're like a product of the place and time and structure that they've been raised in. And it's, so it's sort of like sympathizing with these horrible women, but also getting to like laugh at them and laugh with them, I I think is the, the desire. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of our process of writing the show is starting with some sort of real emotional thing that is relatable. So, you know, 
two de- two Debras get into a club and the other one doesn't get in, so she feels left out. Like feeling excluded feels very real. So then we can do really heightened, silly stuff. But but I think ultimately coming from the place of like three women being very very unfulfilled. So you can kind of relate to that or at least understand that. What are the key elements of the sort of semi-anonymous world in which the Debras live? Like, what are the things like them driving uh, white Cadillac Escalades <laughs> that feel like the specifics that that make it familiar? I would say wasteful for sure. Like, you know, driving these huge gas guzzlers alone in their car. Um, to go next door. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's like a Americana suburbia, but trying to, you know, literally trying to divorce it from existing in a time or place that we know by not by not really uh naming it something that exists or referencing things, but but trying to make it feel like the it's a unique suburbia is a uniquely um, like this kind of suburbia is a uniquely like American, I think, wastefulness. And we wanted it to feel like, you know, you could watch this show and it's whatever the the richest neighborhood in your hometown is or something like that. Like, it's not tied to a specific state or city or anything like that. These are just really extravagant, manicured, pristine. Like, it's all about projection and the show. Even if things are really horrible inside the house, the house will always look beautiful. And the same with the Debras. You know, it's horrible inside the Debras, but on the outside, they're very clean, at least. (laughs) What are some moments in the show that grew out of uh, or were exaggerated from uh, things that you saw people do in your own lives? Oh, if I say it, I'll get in trouble. I know. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to use names. And this is public radio, so there's not that many people listening. (laughs) Um. I mean, I would say definitely some stuff from that sleepover episode both comes from me as a person, but also people in my life, just like the the desperately wanting, like trying to force warmth and intimacy onto other people. And the like the obviously the the tactics are very heightened, but I think those are very relatable to me as a person as well to people in my own life where like in, in my real life, I'm constantly before quarantine was like constantly you know, come over, I'll make you dinner. Like this sense of like, if I curate such a perfect environment, then you're going to like me back. So that that is something that comes from a very real place within me. And I think hopefully like kind of is a relatable thing. Um, but, but I think that's something that it, I've seen and felt in my own life. I feel like um, in the, the Cartwheel Club episode where, where Mitra and Sandy's Debra's get into the club and I don't and I'm left out feels a very, and, and also the specific detail that like I can't do a cartwheel and I didn't like <laughs> oh, yeah. it well I mean I can't do a cartwheel but also it's this sense of like I can't do the thing that it's required of me and I didn't try to learn and now I feel left out is like a very bad cycle that I feel I can I've gotten in like since I was a child where I like I don't do the thing don't try to do the thing but then when I see everyone else do it I'm really jealous and have horrific desires to ruin it for everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) You got the attention of Amy Poehler, one of the founders of the Upright Citizens Brigade, uh, who is also a a producer on the show. Uh, When you did a version of the, of the three Debras play, 
at a theater at Carnegie Hall. You ever heard of it? No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> how, how did you get to Carnegie Hall? Money, money, money. <laughs> um, we found out that you can just rent it, and that's how a lot of people end up performing. There is, like any good old institution, capitalism. So we uh, started a Kickstarter to raise the money to rent it for a night to perform the show one night only um, for free. Like the trade-off was the tickets would be free uh, if you if you gave to the Kickstarter. So we did a one night only show. And it was all new, which was super fun and also the most stressful experience of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> it was also, you know, it's it's a lot of money to rent it out, but even more money if you want to actually have lights change or the light or, you know, sound. Or So the reason that we ended up writing this new show is because our original play had so many sound cues and video cues that we were, we realized we just had to write something specifically built for a stage where you couldn't have anything change except dialogue and someone playing a piano. Yeah, we did um, the bare bones package, which is they turned the lights on and then they turned the lights off. Yeah, it was the house lights. <laughs> so we could see everyone's face for the entire show. <laughs> the lighting was horrible. It, the lighting was horrible and we worked unnecessarily and tirelessly on the uh, seating chart. So we also we had audience plants. We had audience plants. So we assigned every single person <laughs> who got a ticket uh, their seat. And then during the intermission, when the house lights came up again, when we were back on stage, we realized that people were in different seats than we had assigned them. And uh, we still remember that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the more you talk about this event, the more it's starting to sound like you were trying to plan the perfect wedding. It really felt like a wedding. I mean, there was a day when we were all at my house and we were putting together the seating chart. And it really was like, wow, this, I mean, this could be our wedding. Like, this, this might be it. I, like, all of our families were there. Our best friends were there. Um, we made them like, all dress what? up. <laughs> we made them all. We made them all dress up, and we sat all of our parents together. So it very much was our wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is ironic that that you, that all three of you chose the path of not getting married right out of college uh, and trying to become a pharmacist or whatever, and instead dedicated your lives to comedy and had to have this weird symbolic wedding instead. And actually, <laughs> well, right now. Oh. oh, go ahead, Alyssa. No, it was a joke. So it's it's the time has passed. <laughs> I want to hear the joke. I was saying, and actually, now we need comedy, not pharmacists, more than ever. No, <laughs> no, no. but that's. But I was saying it ironically, and if anybody comes for me, I'll kill them. <laughs> Um, I, I, one of, when we did the Kickstarter, we had a bunch of Kickstarter prizes, which most of them were kind of like slaps in the face, um, kind of doing a joke on Kickstarters where it was like, if you donate a hundred dollars, we will send you a zip file of papers that we wrote in college. Or if you don't <laughs> donate $50, we will mail you a box of stuff that we don't want from our apartments. And you know, it was, it was someone like, got pistachio shells. Oh yeah. <laughs> Someone got a but, box full of discarded pistachio shells. But one of the things that you could do is if you paid uh the full amount that we were asking for, which was I believe seventy five hundred dollars, you could marry Alyssa at Carnegie Hall. 
Um, and we, we, no one did it. No one took the bait. <laughs> oh, and if you donate, if you donated five thousand dollars, you would get a digital shout out. That was <laughs> something. Um, the show is on Adult Swim, which has been uh, supported so many brilliant and amazing, bizarre and disturbing comedy projects over the last few decades. It also was the subject maybe six months ago of a a BuzzFeed article that, that revealed that of the top line creator level talent and its shows that it had on the air and in production, one in 34 was a woman. Did you know about that reputation before you went in to pitch and was it a worry? I mean, I think what we wanted was a place where we could make exactly the show we wanted to make in our own voices and the place that felt to us like the the place where we had the likeliest chance of getting to make our show was Adult Swim. So that was the place where we always wanted to make it. So we went into that pitch just hoping that we would get to do that. So it it was very exciting to us to to get that yes because we we just wanted to be able to make our thing. And when we were doing our play and we were like, you know, just sort of talking and and dreaming to one another about <laughs> like like what if we get to make this like a big thing like for TV or you know whatever. It was always like Adult Swim feels like the right the only right place really. It's like the only place that really embraces like that you know weird surreal absurdist <laughs> like comedy like type of comedy like there's I, I don't know it just it was always like a dream sort of place because the coolest stuff had come out of there yeah you know one of the things that we we did know going into the pitch you know about that but after you know that stuff came out a ton of people that work with adult swim people like brett gelman and they they came out and sort of defended women and were saying you know this is something that we should change. So it felt like there was a very positive atmosphere towards looking to remedy that, which was exciting. All three of your characters are named Deborah, And as far as we can tell, that is their only name. <laughs> uh, what do you actually like write into the script? We write uh, Mitra, Sandy, and Alyssa in the script. And sometimes when we're writing in the dialogue, we will accidentally write one of them referring to uh, Mitra, Sandy, or Alyssa instead of Deborah, and the joke we always make is, "Who's Mitra? Who's Sandy? Who's Alyssa?" And it's really awesome. We all laugh a lot the whole time. <laughs> it's funny every time. <laughs> Gets me every time. It does actually. <laughs> we'll wrap up my interview with the cast of three busy Debras after a quick break. Was there ever an idea they pitched for the show that was too bizarre to make the cut? What could possibly be too bizarre for this bizarre, bizarre television show? We'll find out in a moment. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey, this is Alden Ford. And Mujan Zafagari. And we are here with all the other creators of Mission to Zix. Hello. Hello. You're not going to say our names, too? No, no. It's a no. short promo. Yeah. yeah okay. sort of speech, now, right? with the end of our fifth and final season just a few weeks away, we want to say thank you to Maximum Fun and to every single one of you who has listened to and supported Mission to Zix. Thank you. And if you haven't checked it out, well, Mission to Zix is an improvised space opera with blockbuster quality sound design, a score performed by an actual 60 people orchestra and hilarious guest comedians on every episode and as our final episodes air now is the perfect time to jump on board mm -hmm. 
That's Mission to Zix, Z-Y-X-X on Maximum Fun. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with Alyssa Stonaha, Sandy Honig, and Mitra Johari. They're the stars and creators of the TV show Three Busy Debras. What is one of the most bizarre plot pitches that made it into this season of Three Busy Debras? And what is one <laughs> that uh, was simply too bizarre for television? I'm going to go out on a limb and say uh, the ATM that grows out of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> the naturally occurring ATM that grows out of the ground, which was originally a joke beat in an episode that didn't end up getting made or like didn't end up getting written. Uh, it was a joke beat that we were told to cut that we then said, well, and we were told to actually- cut it because it was too weird also. <laughs> and then we were like, but what if we made that the whole episode? I feel like it could make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was maybe the weirdest uh, or like the, yeah, the most, the, the the most like strange world building thing we had to explain. <laughs> D- definitely like the one where you really have to ask the audience to suspend their, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> disbelief and really go, just go with the fact that we're saying, okay. Listen, in the first 10 seconds of this episode, you just have to understand that the ATM goes out of the ground and now it's erupting. Okay, continue with the story. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask questions yet because I feel like there will be a lot more questions you will be asking later. <laughs> I like the idea of someone saying, sorry, sorry, gang, this one strains credulity. Let's let's stick with grounded material like an iguana delivering your mail. <laughs> <laughs> we understand the mail that we understand the concept of the mailman. <laughs> <laughs> and we certainly understand the concept of an iguana. Yeah, so if we just combi- so, combine the two. Where's the problem here? <laughs> it's grounded. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that got cu- that we didn't end up doing because it didn't make any sense. <laughs> but I kind of feel like we were able to get away with everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like, like gags got cut but for the most part you know for better or for worse we're kind of allowed to do the stuff that we like so (laughs) um i yeah i'm not i'm not sure if like anything we really really loved got cut i don't think i mean i think there there was one thing where at the end of the episode the fourth episode barbara we were writing the end of that episode which i think is the most chaotic 30 seconds of any episode that we've done and the whole time we were writing it we were like all right obviously we're gonna be told we have to change this and then we didn't get told and we're going into production and we're like well obviously at some point someone is gonna stop us and someone is gonna tell us we can't do this and then it just got to the day we were shooting it it was like okay i guess everyone's letting us (laughs) do this and that's a nice sort of like succinct way to describe the whole experience of doing this show is like surely someone will interfere no okay wow yay (laughs) is that also scary well it it, it is i (laughs) well episode that episode um aired not this past i don't know when this is coming out but at the time of this recording, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, and I was prepared. I was worried that that episode would, the ending of that episode would be like, would make people watching it 
um, mad at how stupid it was. <laughs> and, um, and the feedback I've seen has been that it's like some of people's favorite jokes and stuff and that that is rewarding where it's like oh this was really silly to this was the silliest moment of writing that season was was writing that scene and we were like doing it through tears laughing because we were like this is so stupid and funny to us and and for people to um, feel similarly is shocking and scary going into it. Yeah, I mean, it's very vulnerable to have worked on something for five years and like constantly, consistently throughout those five years. And at the end of that, the show just comes out and it's like, uh, here's here's that thing I've been talking about since 2015. Oh, God, I hope you like it. And then the nice thing is that people have been so kind and it, you know, it has been well received and that that is I mean, it, it is very scary to just earnestly put something out into the world, no matter what. So it's exciting that people like it. I think I would be most afraid of not having limits and thus being entirely responsible for my work. Like the, the fact that no one was checking me, you know? I mean, we're super lucky that we have like great producers and are like the, the folks at adult swim are are really everybody's really involved in the making of this show so i mean if we're ever going out too far on a limb someone will be like hey like maybe rein this thing in but this thing is really working so i think we definitely have checks we we are getting we are i think do a good job of sort of checking ourselves but we also work with really wonderful people who ask the right questions and keep us from going too, you know, it's, it's so hard to tell with this show, like what's too far or something, but (laughs) keep us, keep us true to whatever story we say that we're trying to tell kind of. I mean, I think we've established that as far as you're concerned, too far has yet to occur. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we just want to make sure we keep it subtle, nuanced, grounded, bumblecore kind of vibes. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing that's been really amazing is, you know, it's like we get to, we just do such subtle performances that... um, Yeah, we trained really, really long in in Juilliard's acting school. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're all hams. Um. (laughs) Well, Sandy, Mitra, Alyssa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me on Bullseye. It was uh, really great to talk to you, and the, and the show is really hilarious. Congratulations. Thank, thank you. you so much. Sandy Honig, Mitra Johari, and Alyssa Stonaha. Three Busy Debras, really something else. You can watch both seasons on Adult Swim or the HBO Max app, and I, I very sincerely recommend that you do. I guess it's one of those things that maybe isn't for everyone, but Man, it is real funny. And the episodes are short, so give it a try. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. The other day I was going to have a birthday party, so I rented a bounce house uh, for my kids and their friends who were going to be around. And uh, then (laughs) my youngest got sick. Uh, Just a cold, but a bad cold, so we had to cancel the party, but they still delivered the bounce house, so it just sort of was our personal bounce house for a day. Uh, It was weird, but fun! Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio, Valerie Moffat, and Richard Roby. 
Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Tabitha Myers. Welcome on board, Tabitha. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is Huddle Formation, written and recorded by the great band The Go Team. Thanks to them and to their label, Memphis Industries, for letting us use that song. Bullseye is also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find us there. Give us a follow. We will share with you all of our interviews. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.